0: Hi, we're Ed and Latonya Sutton.
1: We've been married for 31 years. We got married when I was 22 and Ed was 23.
2: And I believe we say that the secret to our marriage is the word respect.
1: I agree. We talked about this and respect is huge for us. It always has been. We always wanted to treat each other pretty much the way we want it to be treated and with that with certain words we just didn't play around with we didn't play around with who was going to sleep on the couch like oh you're gonna sleep on the couch tonight that kind of thing we never played with that
2: never said the d-word
1: um we and um yeah and we haven't talked the d-word in playing sometimes you know as couples might play around with that but We do have to be accountable for the words that we speak. And so with that being said, in our 31 years, those are two things that we haven't played around with.
2: I've never called her out of her name unless it was sweetheart or babe.
1: I
3: love
0: it. Hello, we're the Pittmans. My name is Mae Pittman. My name is Luther. We've been married for 37 years. We got married on September the 10th, and I was 21 years old. And I was 19. The secret to our longevity in marriage has to be, again, it could be cliche, but uh, Christ is the center. Every day we do devotion together. Yes. We get up and we read the scriptures and we meditate and we pray together. Couples that pray together, stays together. And I think that's really one of the keys. Having couple times, date night, those are things that kind of keep mending your hearts together. Um also maybe attending um marriage training, marriage seminars, but you've got to find a way to reconnect on a daily basis. And that's what keeps you in love with one another, having fun, making memories, and um just enjoying life together. Um I encourage you to, you know, maybe find someone that's a mentor. If you've been married like a short period of time that can help you Uh, Because there will be times that you disagree. Is that correct? That's true. So when you disagree, you'll need, um, you know, like some help, someone to come alongside to help you through those rough spots. Um, But you remember, you remember the covenant. The covenant that you made before God, and you made whether you stood before a justice of the peace or if you stood before you know a pastor in the church, you remember the covenant, and that when I said I do, we did, and we still do. <laughs> yes, I still do. Still I do. do. You do. I do. I'll do it again.
2: We are Mark and Kristen Oliver
1: and we have been married nearly 27 years in June. I was a child bride at 19, and Mark was 23 when we got married.
2: They always say opposites attract. I think that's true for personalities, but we have so many common interests, and I think that's a big key. We are different personalities, definitely. I think that's a plus, but we have so many things in common. We enjoy doing the same things together.
1: Secret to our longevity, and not just longevity, but actually having a an awesome marriage, I think uh, the key is in Ephesians 5. Uh, and it's very interesting if you go and read it. It has all the stuff that it talks about that a man needs to do. And there's one little phrase for women. It says, women, respect your husbands. I decided that I was going to become the woman of his dreams. And the Lord really worked with me through that. And I, I think that's probably a lot of the the success of our marriage is I put him where God told me to put him and I put his feelings and his desires and his wants above myself you have to make a choice that you want an awesome marriage and you have to at some point start doing what the word says and start honoring him and respecting him I think and when you do that um, man God's just going to bless it and
2: to go along with that, I mean, we're told to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and that's the beginning of it. And God is always number one. Your spouse is number two. And I think too many times people put their kids above their marriage, and they do whatever for the kids before the for, before their spouse. And, of course, you do everything you can for your kids. We all do. But your spouse comes before your kids and cuz they're going to be there for 18, 19 years or whatever. You still got a long time with your wife. So
1: the intimacy is definitely a priority. How's your sex life? Uh because I think that's very telling. I think that's very important that that's a priority. <laughs> oh. <Uh-oh. laughs> that that's a priority.
2: We always be in agreement on purchase large purchases and that kind of thing and we take care of it together. We don't just uh pawn it off on one of the other persons. so We don't ever fight about money, I mean, that's one thing, because that's trouble.
1: We've been able to deal with things from our past, and it it enables you to have a marriage that, you know, like I said, you're not bumping into each other, and thank goodness we have tons of resources at this church that you don't have to go on being wounded and being hurt, and you can be set free, and I think that's a huge part of a successful marriage as well.
2: Date night. We're fixing to take a date night. Make that a priority.
4: Okay. Uh, I'm Billy Sawyer. This is my lovely wife, Billy Faye.
5: Okay. Uh, my joy is that I am uh, Billy's wife for 60 years, uh, but I love to say that my name is Billy Faye, and that Billy calls me Honey, and my children call me Mother, and my great-grandchildren and grandchildren call me Nana but God calls me his. I was, had just turned 19, but you were 18.
4: Yep. Yeah, a little younger.
5: <laughs> and we met, uh, I was in the swimming pool, uh, actually a swimming pool tank, and uh, with my bathing suit, of course, up to here, down to here, and Billy had been picking cotton, and he came in to get some water. And his mother told me this is what he said for sure. Who is that girl in the tank swimming with my sister Betty Sue? And she told him it was Billy Faye, and he said, I'm going to marry her. So, That's we true. did.
4: That's true. Love August
5: it, the 9th.
4: Love at first sight. Yes,
5: yes, okay. yes, yes. 1959, August the 9th. What uh, is the secret to our the marriage? Secret,
4: oh, the secret. Well, I keep God number one. Yes. Okay, and... When you have your differences, uh, work it out, talk it out, and don't go to bed without working out your differences. Before we go to sleep. And have a lot of patience, and I just know that God's in control, and it's going to, everything's fine, it's going to work out, and hey, you're in it for the long haul.
5: That's right, and a good sense of humor, I might add.
4: (laughs) Hi, my name's David Aycock, and this is my beautiful bride, Belinda.
3: Well, thank you for that introduction. Well, David and I have been married 37 years. and July 31st, it will be 38. I was 18 years old when we married straight out of high school. And I
2: was 21. And
3: David was 21. And you know what? I wouldn't trade it. And we've been asked the question, what makes our marriage work? And I think one thing is we just embrace every season And I can trust that my husband hears the voice of the Lord. And when he shares something with me, we can test that. And when we're not in agreement, we're in disagreement. So we don't move forward till we agree. So what's your take on how our marriage has lasted 37 years?
4: (laughs) Well, it's uh, been just ourselves, which wasn't very long. It's our children, and now it's our grandchildren. And... um... That, I think, is what makes um, everything just work out so well that uh, we love each other probably more now than we ever have.
3: I agree. I agree. And it is so fun watching your children parent Mm -hmm. and the joy of being a grandparent, but the joy of knowing when Christ is in the center of our marriage, that's what we're modeling for the next generation. So I'm in for the long haul. What about you?
4: I am too. Hi, I'm uh, Bill Hale and this is my wife Lisa.
5: Hi, we got married at, I was almost 20 and he robbed the cradle, he was 29. Uh, We've been married 42 years this January. Number one would be to have Jesus in your marriage because you've got to have somebody to cry out to and pray when things get bad and they will get bad. (laughs) So.
4: We met in a church, and we've been involved in churches our whole marriage. Humor is a big part of our this marriage.
5: Women, men love it when you tell them what to do.
4: And men always remind your wife how to drive.
5: Those are two things that'll keep the marriage really like this. That's
4: that's the secret. <laughs> Maybe the. The serious side of our humor is that we're all flawed. And forgiveness of each other and understanding from each other just takes care of a lot of issues.
5: He's more flawed than I am.
4: It's true. (laughs) Big time. I start the fights. She refuses to participate. (laughs)
5: but when I do
6: (laughs) oh man that was awesome you guys are we're all flawed but Bill you're more flawed than Lisa yeah okay I've never preached on the subject of marriage in, uh, I guess, 19 years that I've been preaching. never had a sermon specifically about marriage, and then when I saw the calendars February 9th, and we all know Valentine's Day is coming up, the Lord laid upon this my heart, actually my wife's heart, uh, a month or two ago, about staying the course, and I thought about man, marriage is, and we're called to stay the course we are. When you say I do, it's, it's like unless you had different vows than we did, it was until death do you part, okay? So we uh, we know about marriage. Now, I, I, we know about longevity. Mary Lou and I will be celebrating 48 years this August. So I think we're like number two up there. 48 years that God has blessed our marriage, but it wasn't, there's some things that we had to learn along the way. And and I do love my wife now more than I loved her way back then. And actually, it just things change through the years. Uh, they evolve. And she is, as I shared last week, she's my best friend. And we've been through a lot together. And and we're thankful that God sustained our marriage back many years ago when, when the enemy tried to dis, to divide us and destroy us and destroy our marriage. And we were very close to getting a divorce. And God's just intervened. That's all I can say. He just moved in and said, No you are not going to have this one, devil. And uh, God sustained our marriage through that. And now today we, uh, we're just blessed to have two kids and two grandkids and two awesome uh, daughter in love and a son in love. And, uh, but it, it, it comes with the fact that all these things that they said and, and more. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, most of you know that the statistics say that half of all marriages end in divorce. Did you all know that? And guess what? The, what's what are the statistics in the church? They're the same. And, and I'm thinking of that verse that says, "This should not be." You know, God, this should, Lord, this should not be, uh, but it is. It's 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 the reality of it is that we live in a world where our culture says, if it doesn't work out, you just do something else. And so, in saying all of that, I want you to understand this morning that as I preach this message, the enemy will try to use guilt and condemnation to come upon those of you that have had a divorce. Those of you that have been through that. And so I want to just share some things with you before we even get into the message this morning. Because this was written by a man that was flawed. This, this book was written, this chapter, this letter was written by a man that was more flawed than Bill. It's written by Apostle Paul. The reason I'm saying that is because, listen, because what he's going to tell us in a minute in, his, in this word, he wrote this, this message, but he at one time was responsible for arresting Christians, having them put in jail, and eventually killed, many of them women, men, and children, having them killed because they were followers of Christ. Now, if God can do a work in his life, and save and redeem him from what he went through and what he did and how big a failure he was, and take him from that to preaching the gospel and sending the gospel around the world. And we're reading his letters today. you think he can do with something with you, those of you that have walked through divorce? Do you think he can restore your life? So I want to encourage you today. Do not let the enemy bring guilt and condemnation on you today. That's what he does. But God says, I've set you free from that. Listen, sin is sin. If I preach a pro-life message, listen, the enemy would like to bring condemnation upon every woman that's ever had an abortion. But we do not walk in condemnation. It says if we are in Christ, we are not in condemnation. So I know there are many of you here that have, have gone through situations in your life where you've had she's see okay? Okay. Somebody help him out there. Okay, sir? Okay. So this morning as we focus on what, is, what, what makes a relationship, what makes a marriage successful, we're going to look at, at it from the perspective in, in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, would you please? Let's just go ahead and say "Let's guilt and shame is gone. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, And their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. How many of you have been forgiven? How many of you ask God to forgive you of things that you did years ago when He's already forgiven you? And you know God's response? I don't know what you're talking about. Because He says He forgets them. It's not that He has a bad memory, He chooses to forget. Only God can do that. He chooses to forget. So this morning, if whatever the enemy would try to throw at you, listen—it's already been forgiven. It's under the blood. It's gone, and God doesn't even remember it. Amen. Now, when most preachers preach on marriage and they use this passage in Ephesians five, even Kristen Oliver referred to it this morning. They, they usually go to five. Uh, they go to twenty-two, and that's where they start. Like when. Preaching if, uh, a wedding, that's where pastors go to Ephesians 5 and they go to verse 22. That's because somebody along the way, and the go, uh, the writers of the gospel didn't do this. Somebody came along later and put little headings in, in your scripture. Y'all have little headings? What's your say right before 522? Yeah, marriage, relationships, Christ in the church, okay? But I believe it starts back at, chapter, at verse 1. So that's where we're going to go to. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love. Say, walk in love. walk in love. As Christ has also loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, the first thing, this is the obvious thing that in, in a marriage, this is going to make your marriage be sustained, is L-O-V-E. Say, love. love. Say, agape. agape. See, that word love there, there's a lot of different definitions for love, but... You go back to the Greek. This word for love is agape, which is a selfless love. It's a, it's a, a, it's centered more on others than on yourself. Listen, that's a key to marriage: is that your love is not about. It's not about what you want. It's about what your wife wants. It's about about your husband wants. it's what about so what about your spouse wants? Okay. Because this is the agape love. Now, listen, what agape love looks like, okay? And this, these are all pertaining to marriage. But many of you, how many of you are like in a relationship and you're going to get married? You're, you're, you're like, okay. Oh, see, see, you see that hand? I see those hands. Okay. So, and so these are good. These are good notes. And last week, I don't know why, but we missed number three. It didn't come up on the computer. We had a glitch in the computer. I didn't know y'all were so adamant about having the numbers. So I had many people, what was number three? And I said, I said it. And then, anyway, it didn't get on the screen. So write it down if you need to. The first one is L-O-V-E. Now, walking in love means more than just lovey-dovey, lovey-dovey all the time. Ooh, baby. You know, it's, it's a lot more than that. Walking in love means walking in forgiveness. When you walk in the agape love of Christ, you walk in forgiveness. Say Forgiveness. Walking in love means that you don't always have to be right. Anybody in here? Your spouse has always got to have the last word. See? You know, not need to raise your hand, especially if he's sitting right next to you. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about? People that always have to have, have to have the very last word even before you turn out the light. I know, I don't want to talk about it anymore. But, 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 you know. But you're not, no, honey, I don't but, you know, there are lots of buts in those people that like to have the last word. So walking in love means that you don't always have to be right. Walking in love means to walk in G-R-A-C-E, grace. When, you, when you're walking in grace, when you're walking in that kind of love, it means you don't give them what they deserve necessarily. Because we all deserve what? We all deserve hell and God gives us heaven. We, we don't deserve forgiveness and God forgives us. So we need to walk in this thing called grace if we're going to have a successful marriage. Another thing that we need to walk in and when it's in relationship to love is we need to walk in compassion. I can't tell you how much compassion my wife has uh, for me, especially through the years that I've walked through a uh, uh, disease. Uh, Crohn's disease. She's had compassion on me. I, I think there's days she ought to just go, I am so sick and tired of you being sick. You know, I just leave. <laughs> but she doesn't do that. She said she has this great compassion for me. And she walks through me. Uh, walks through me. She walks with me through these things. That would be supernatural, wouldn't it? Walking in love, I love this. It's it's uh, it's a one of the, one of the verses out of First Corinthians 13 it means that we don't keep a record of wrongs. Write that one down. Some of you have a list. You may not have a physical list, but you can recall every single time your spouse screwed up, and you're not and you're and you're welcome to remind them of it. Now, God's forgiven them, but you haven't. And you keep this record of wrongs so you can have a ledger. And so if you're keeping it, then they're going to keep it, so they're going to have two ledgers going, yeah, but you remember that day? No, but but you remember that thing. But no, no, but you remember that time that you'd... No, no, but did you... And it goes back and forth. Listen, if God's going to forgive us and forget all of our sins, we need to be able to not keep a record of wrongs. If you want to keep a record of rights, that's okay. Man, honey, you remember that time? Yeah, I remember that time. You need to keep your record of rights. All right, let's move on. Verse uh, 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers of them. The second thing we need in a marriage, listen, and we don't talk about it much today in this culture, is P-U-R-I-T-Y. We need purity in our marriages. Man, this thing, this, this thing called pornography is, is, is destroying marriage after marriage after marriage. And he's addressing that right here. You see, the Bible is always relevant. Well, people don't. Well, the Bible—it's just so outdated. It's two thousand years old. It's four thousand years old. No, the Bible is always relevant. It's a now word for the church, and everything he lists here. Did you know everything he lists here is really goes back to sexual sins? It goes back. Listen, the word for fornication, the word for fornication, the Greek word is pornia. It's the word where we get our word porn from. So when you talk about fornication, you're talking about all kinds of sexual sin, homosexuality, bestiality, adultery, pornography. All of these are sexual sins, covetousness, wanting that woman that you can't have. Oh, she really looks good. I really want. And having these thoughts in your mind of adultery, even just the thought of it. He said we need to keep our minds and our hearts pure in the marriage. We need to check each other on that. You need to be transparent to each other. I know guys, well, I've got my cell phone. My wife can't look at my cell phone. That is baloney. Oh, she can't, when you walk in the room, you're flipping down that laptop. No, open it up. Leave it open. Don't cheat on your wife with somebody, somebody's daughter somewhere out there that somebody photographed. It's impure. And it will fill your marriage bed. It will fill your marriage bed with impurity and destroy your marriage. He's addressing, I believe, here he's addressing. He's addressing the church, but he's also addressing those that have never given their lives to Christ. Those are the sons of disobedience. Those are the ones. Listen, and I'm not talking about the time that you've looked and you've been sorry for it. I'm not talking about those times when you've you fallen into something and you, you. Listen, I'm talking about. He's talking about the sons of disobedience. These are people that don't care about it and they do it over and over and over and over. And there's no, there's nothing in their conscience that says this is wrong. There's no. Those are the sons of disobedience. They do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But listen, if you've got an addictive problem and you're sorry for it and you want to get out of it, we've got help for you. You need to be delivered from that. It's not normal. It's not natural for a marriage. Listen, a marriage can't be sustained on on a fake purity. It's got to be real. Guys, our wives deserve that. Wives, your husbands deserve that. Listen, men aren't the only people that do those things. The third, let's look at verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. The third thing every marriage needs is light. It needs exposure. We need the light of Christ. See, he didn't say that we are in darkness. He said we were darkness. He didn't say we're in the light. He said now we are light. Light. When Christ comes in, the light of Christ comes in, we change. Or we should change. Amen? God is so good. God is so gracious. He loves you. He loves me so much that He will expose our sin. Did you all hear me? He will let you know. You know what? He's also gracious enough He'll expose it to you first. He'll say, okay, Harold, you need to stop this. Yes, Lord. Listen, people that continue on and continue on and continue on and they they get farther and farther from God, listen, God will expose your sin, but He'll expose it to somebody else. He may expose it to your spouse. And then you're going to have to deal with it. He may expose it to your friends. He may expose it to the church. But listen, He wants us. He's exposing it so we can get help, that we can get healing, that we can have forgiveness, and that we can move on with our life. We don't have to get stopped in in the muck and the mire of our sin where we can't move anymore. He wants us to be free. We're free from sin, so He doesn't want us to live in it any longer. Walk in the light, He said. First John 1 9, one of my favorite scriptures. This should be one of the favorite past scriptures of every Christian. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from what? Just a little bit of our unrighteousness. No, all unrighteousness. See, we have this hope through forgiveness. We don't have to stay where we're at in our sin. See, I don't have to stay there. Verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days were evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The fourth thing, number four. Say number four. Listen, this is huge in a marriage. It's called wisdom. Godly wisdom. Not your wisdom, not Oprah's wisdom, not the last self-help book you read, their wisdom. I'm not saying those are bad, but I'm saying every Christian needs to walk in godly wisdom. We need to walk in Holy Spirit wisdom. The Holy Spirit knows things before Oprah knows them. God knows things before anybody knows them. He sees the the beginning, but He also sees the end. You know, if we could see the end of our sin, we wouldn't sin. I don't know anybody that's an alcoholic that when they took their first drink decided I want to be an alcoholic. I think this would be a great thing to do. I want to go to AA for the rest of my life. Anybody? Can I get a witness? I don't know any drug addict the first time that they got high because they wanted to feel good decided you know what I want to be dependent on that for the rest. I want my life destroyed. I love drugs so much. I want it to destroy my life, my family, my health. No, nobody does that because they can't see the end from the beginning. Satan is that way. He's really sly in that way. He only shows you this beautiful picture of having fun, right? And he didn't show you the end results. He didn't show you the person on, on, on in the slums or sitting by the curb trying to get begged for something so he can buy one more bottle of wine. He didn't show you that picture. We need the wisdom of God. Listen, wisdom, we need wisdom. I like what Mark and Kristen were saying. We need wisdom in our finances. Did you know men one of the main causes of divorce in families today is because of financial problems? Why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons and we can't go into all today, but Dave Ramsey could probably help you out on that. But what do we do? We get caught up with the spending that the world wants us to do. We get caught up in the in the flesh, and we go after things that we can't afford. And somebody says, "Hey, if you get a credit card, you'll get a limit on there, and you can just spend it it's like you it's just like you don't have to pay it back." Huh? Maxed out, baby. Maxed out. Well, give me another card. It's maxed out. Do we give me another? Oh, this one's still got some money on it. We have too much month at the end of the money, don't we? We spend more than we make, don't we? And then we, find, then we go, oh, honey, that, why did you buy that? Well, because you bought that. And then all of a sudden, you start getting... Finances will cause such a division in your marriage. You need wisdom in your finances. You need to go back and start over and say, God, God, what would you have us do? And he'll say, I'm going to give you an idea. It's called a Budget. And I know things happen. I, do, I know things happen. They're out of your control and, and it causes sometimes to throw things off, but you can get back. You can get back. We need wisdom in our finances. Listen, we need wisdom in our communication. Another one of the greatest causes of division or, or divorce is because the husband and the wife, they fail to communicate. They just don't talk to each other. Man, it's really Quiet. Don't talk to each other. You know, husbands. You know, the husbands are too prideful to tell their wife that something happened at work today that they they couldn't figure out, and so they're just going to clam up. And say, "Yo, I got this." Any, any wives, can you attest to that? That your husband is just maybe a little bit prideful, and he says, "I can figure this out, honey. You don't need to get involved." But listen, maybe you need to get involved, honey. Maybe you need to tell your wife, "I need you to pray." You need to start communicating. I love it when, when uh, Luther and May said we start our day with our devotion. We communicate together. We communicate with the Lord together. Mary Lou, that's one of our things that we try to do almost every day. We get we, we get up and we have our coffee. We have the, our Bible. We take communion. We sit by the fireplace. We talk about what God is doing in our life. We pray for our children. We pray for our family. We pray for our church family. And we do these things. Listen, are we consistently doing that every day, all the time? No, we don't. But listen, it's almost as consistent as that. Because we know that without that time of communication, we have not... Listen, we set the day in motion when we sit down together and we communicate. Some of you haven't talked to your spouse in a while. Except to tell her, baby, go get me some tater chips. That's not the kind of beer I drink. What are you talking about? The Super Bowl is coming up. That, that's about your communication effort. I'm <laughs> picking on the guys. But we need to communicate in more ways than buy me this, get me that at the store. Oh, yeah, we talk all the time. No, you don't. Do You talk about your feelings. I know guys don't like to hear this. But women, they care about how we feel, men. Our spouses really care. And, and when you come home and you've had a rough day, how was your day at work today, honey? Fine. Could you expand on that? Well, it was pretty good. Now, could you really tell me how was your day? Well, no, I don't need to tell you it was a good day. You know, I just went to work and I came home. Here I am. Feed me. We need wisdom in our communication. Communication is a two-way street. If you're sitting by your spouse, say it's a two-way street. If you're not, text them. And <laughs> honey, the pastor said it's two-way street. It's not 50-50. A marriage is not 50-50. A marriage is 100-100. Husbands give 100%. Wives give 100%. Look out for each other. Wisdom. Wisdom is in how you use your time. Wisdom is how and you, how you use your time. Families can get so out of whack when the one or the other becomes a workaholic. That's just an addiction. That's a way of escape. I don't want to face the things around me, so I'm just going to stay at work. I want to work harder because I need more money because our finances are in a mess. And we start, we start compensating here and here and here and here and our time gets out of hand and then we forget, oh, I haven't talked to my children in a while. Time usage. What's your time usage look like? And the, and the other thing that the Lord just impressed upon me is, is wisdom will not beat... Will, will, with godly wisdom you will not beat up your spouse with the Word of God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I've had couples that have come in for marital counseling, and maybe they're even separated, and one or the other gets all super religious all of a sudden. Well, I've been quoting scripture to her, Pastor, and she just turns away and walks away from me. You should submit to me, honey. It's what the word says. And you start using and twisting the word so you can manipulate and control the situation. So you're laughing about it, but it's true. And I've told people, I've told guys to their face, shut up. Quit acting like all of a sudden you're Jesus super spiritual because the reason you're in this mess is because you never were like that. And just start preaching. Start preaching. Listen, nobody wants to be preached to except y'all on Sunday morning. Right? They chuckle. But don't use the word as a weapon like that. Be honest. Honey, I messed up. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? That goes a long way. Then thou hast betrayed me. (laughs) Verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Number five. A marriage without the Holy Spirit leading you is a marriage in trouble. We need the Holy Spirit. Say, we need the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of people misquote this verse. A, they, they quote it and say, Don't be drunk with wine, but be drunk with the Spirit. It doesn't say that. It says, Be what? Filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And there are other scriptures that would allude to the fact that it's not a one time feeling, it's a constant filling. It's, it's a refilling. Listen, we, when, when we give and give and give, well, listen, we've got to receive so we can give some more. So when you get empty, you say, God, fill me up. And how does that happen? You have to get before Him. You have to humble yourself. You have to worship Him. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because, listen, being filled with the Holy Spirit is way better than being filled with alcohol. Now, Mary Lou and I, we do not drink alcohol. I'm not bringing condemnation on, on people that do. The Bible doesn't say that you can't drink, okay? It just says you shouldn't get drunk. But I know a lot of people and even in my own family that they drank to excess and they ended up getting drunk. And then they became alcoholics. I've never seen the value of alcohol. You can say all you want to oh pastor it's good for your heart. You can say all the crap you want to about alcohol but there's not a good thing about it. Oh some of you like Ooh. It settles me down. it It's my comfort. It makes me feel good. Well, listen, the Holy Spirit does that a lot better and you stay sober. Where's my soapbox? Jeez. When Jesus admonished the churches in Revelation... He, at the end of every one of them, He said, He has an ear. Let Him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, we're the church. We're the bride of Christ. We need to, as, as spouses, we need to listen and hear what Jesus is speaking to us through the Holy Spirit so we can direct our marriage where it will be an honor and glory to God. So we'll move on from the alcohol thing. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number six is we need to be worshipers. Our marriage should be a worship. We should have an altar of worship in our marriage. And I'm not talking about a physical altar. But listen, uh, I think uh, Luther said it. One of, one of you said a while ago, The family that prays together stays together. Listen, a family that worships together stays together. Now, I'm not talking about just corporate worship. That's important that you come together to worship, to worship the Lord together. That's huge. Man, it makes all the, listen, listen, God, He moved in my life, in my wife's life, when we stepped out of singing to God and began to sing, I mean, singing about God and started singing to God, we, we moved from singing to worship. There's a whole different, there's a whole different thing there. You can sing to your, to your throat sore and not worship God. But it's when you open up your heart and you raise your hands or raise your voice and you say, God, I love you. Thank you, Jesus. I praise you. I worship you. I love you. I adore you. That's when you're listening. If you listen, a woman will look at a man like that and go, man, that's a kind of guy. That's an anointing. I can go after a man like that. That's pretty sexy. In a good way. might want to edit that part. You see, if you're a worshiper, if you're a worshiper, worship goes he mentions it here, it goes beyond just worshiping. It goes it's a prayer, it's thanksgiving. That's your heart. When you're walking, when you're a worshiper, it's a 24-7 kind of thing. It's not like, I'm going to worship him this morning. I'm not worshiping on Wednesday night. I'm going to worship him. I'm going down the street. I've got some my K-level and my air one. and So I'm going to worship the Lord. You said that's cool. That's all great because that keeps you focused. But worship is an, is an attitude that you carry with you 24-7. Verse 21. Submitting to one another. Oh. <laughs> See, I started with 21. A lot of people just start with 22. But I think 21 is really important. Submitting to who? One another. Say one another. In what? Okay. Then he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. As to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That's one of those verses that men use to dominate and control their wives, and it never was meant to be that. Because he says before he starts there, he says at the very beginning, we're to love one another. We don't have... Listen. He's called us to love one another. Then he says submit to one another because you fear God. Submit to one another because... You have a reverential fear of a holy God. See, we don't like to talk about the fear of God anymore. That just seems antiquated. That seems Old Testament. But it's all through the New Testament that we are to fear God. He see, in one verse, I'll put a paraphrase. He said, I created you. I, I put you here. I can take you out. That's God. and we should, we should have a reverential holy fear for God in our marriages. You see, we've taken it from it's all about us to it's all about God. That's where He wants us to go with our marriages this morning. To be more about Him than about us. When we submit to one another in the fear of God, that means we look out for one another. That we want the best for each other. I, I've told people this. I've told them in premarital counseling. I know there's a couple that, that, that came to me this morning So said, we want premarital counseling. You're getting a dose of it this morning. If you're always looking out for your spouse and, and holding them in high esteem and regarding them highly and you're always wanting the best for your spouse and in turn they're doing the same thing for you, they're always wanting the best for you, listen, your marriage has got a pretty good chance of making it. Like a great chance of making it when it's done in the fear of the Lord. When you're doing it to, to please God and not yourselves. I want to ask you something, all of you that are married this morning. What does God think of your marriage? Don't answer out loud. What does God think of your marriage? Is your marriage an honor and a glory to Him? Or is it a mess? Or is it all about you or the other? Who's it about? Are you submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord? Have you recognized the mission of your marriage? Oh, what do you mean? See, a mission, the word submission means you come under the mission of. Submission. The mission is honoring Christ. The mission is glorifying God. That's the mission. Are you coming under that mission? Have you understood that? Listen, maybe this is the first time you're going to understand that your marriage is going to change for the better. When you start understanding, oh, it's not about us anymore. You mean it's it's about Him? It's about bringing glory. Yeah, He's the one that brought it up. He's the one that instituted marriage in the first place. When we see marriage as a covenant between a man and a woman and God, then our marriage will change. When we bring God into the equation, your marriage will change. But if it's just about the two of you, there will be problems. And God made things in a certain order. I know some of you don't like to hear this. I just happen to be born a male. I could have easily been. God could have said, Harold, I want you to be a Carol or Gloria or something. C-A-R-O-L, you know. He he made me a man. How many men did he make you men? Some of you don't know. Oh, that's going to be a whole other sermon. God made things in order. He always did things in order. So, when you have a problem with wives submitting to your husbands, then you're having a problem with the way God made things. And I know in this day we talk about equality. I'm not against equality. I think men and women are equal. We are. We are. Sometimes, most of the time, your wife's smarter than you anyway, guys. If you're honest, it's not about who's smarter, it's about order. Again, when I, when I do marriage counseling or premarital counseling, I say, it's important that you agree on everything. Everything. Oh Man, this is going good. Huh? Oh, man, she said... When Mary Lou and I are getting into one of those deals where we're not agreeing, she'll, st- she'll make this little comment. The sky is blue. And I'll say, no, nope, it's gray. <laughs> you know? We have our little signals when we start, when we're not agreeing on something. God made us, he gave us our different personalities, understand that. Mark and Kristen, they're a testimony of that. She's pretty outgoing, he's pretty quiet. Uh, You wouldn't even know this, but I'm very much quiet uh, compared to my my wife. I mean, she's more vocal and she's got a more vibrant personality. and, And like if we ever went to parties when we were younger and went to some, I hated those things. Those little mixers where you make small talk about nothing. Guys, can I get a witness? You just want to run and hide, and your women are all just having fun. They're talking about everything, and you're just going, how are the cowboys doing? You know, that's just, well, it's going to be, looks like it's going to rain this week. You know, that's that's about as deep as we get. And the women are just <laughs> just having a big old, wasn't that a great party? Yeah, baby, it was awesome. Yeah. The only one I ever had fun at. They had this punch. I kid you not, I did not know it wasn't real punch. But when we were driving off and come to the gate, and I saw about three gates, I said, honey, I don't know what I was in that punch. It sure tasted good. And I said, you better drive us home. That's a, I told you I was against alcohol. That's why, man. I would have I hit one of the wrong gates. So... uh but agreement, listen, I believe in a, in a husband and wife. I think you should agree on everything. You should talk it out and agree. What happens if you don't agree? Then the wife has to defer to the husband. Thank you. Because God wants to keep order and establish order in the home. What if our military was oh, everybody had, everybody had all these different ranks, and the private came up and told the general, this is what we're going to do today. And the general would look at him like, are you kidding me? Wouldn't he? That private might be sharp. He might be smart. He might be a future president or something. But that general, has or he has authority and he sets order into the camp. It's the same way in a family. We need order in our families. That's why my husbands and wives should never argue in front of their children. They should never disagree. And so the kids start playing mom against dad because, listen, if they're trying to do that and you both have the same answer, the kids will quit doing it pretty soon. Especially if, you, if, if they come to you, Dad, and you say, well, you need to ask your mom. But I already asked mom, but then whatever she said goes. You need to back each other up. But there is an order that comes with submission. God designed it. Verse 25. We're almost done. Which means absolutely nothing. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Oh, do you see that, husbands? Let me read that again. You're so declarative this morning. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. I love that. That He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You know, the Bible tells us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. okay? For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. Number eight, and some of you may disagree with this, but love is a choice. Well, Pastor, I just fell out of love. No, you just don't fall out of love. I just fell in love. No, you just don't fall in love. Love is a choice. Did you know God chose to love us? He chose to send His only Son to die for us because He chose it. He made a choice. And some people go, well, I just can't make this marriage just not going to work because I just don't love her anymore. That's baloney. Or the Greek, balagna. It is. It's just baloney. But we use that excuse... I just don't love her anymore. Well, then something's happened in the order in your family that you've stopped loving her because he says that we are called to love. We are commanded to love. Why would he command us to love if it wasn't a choice? Why would he command the disciples and say, this is how they would know that you are my, my, my disciples, the way you love one another? He said, I tell you today, I command you to love one another. It's a choice. I choose to love. Man, if, you, if, if there's problems in your marriage and you decide you want to cut and run, then you need to go, God, what do I do? And you say, you love her. You love Him. You choose. You make the choice to love them. But God, I don't, feel, I don't care what your feelings say. My faith tells you to love them. By faith, love them. Care for them. Take care of them. Love is a choice. In other words, husbands, we are, according to this scripture, we are to treat our wives like queens. Am I going to catch anything for this message? Let's, okay, we're good, right? Whew. You want your, listen, happy wife, happy life. There's a lot of truth to that. It's not in scripture, but it's a lot of truth to it. You want your marriage to work? Treat your wife like a queen. Don't give her a reason to make you sleep in the other room. Anybody ever had to sleep in the other room? Or or the couch? There's about a few honest people here. Are you threatened to? I'm I'm just going to sleep in the other room. What does your wife say? No, you're not. (laughs) You are not sleeping in the other room. (laughs) You get back in here. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Happy wife, happy life. Can I give you some more wisdom, advice? Don't talk bad about your spouse to other people. Don't go off and tell your... Come on, yeah. Can I get a witness? If you want to go talk to a marriage counselor, that's fine. But don't go to everybody you know and tell them how bad your wife is or how bad your husband is. I mean, you talk about bringing the respect level gone. It's gone when you do that. That's the last thing that we should do if we want to have a healthy marriage is start putting down our spouse. All right, we're going to finish that. Verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. I've alluded to this before. The last thing I want you to see is there's a bigger picture to marriage. There's a bigger picture to it. Just like when you got saved, you became one with Christ. The Bible says he's in us and we are in him. Right? He said, that's a mystery. We're seated in heavenly places with Him. That's a mystery, isn't it? You mean I'm seated at the right hand of the Father because Jesus said, yeah, we are, spiritually. So we have a different way of looking at things, have a different perspective, right? So these things are like a mystery. I mean, who can explain it? You try to explain salvation to somebody and they're going to look at you like... What are you talking about? You mean somebody 2,000 years ago came from heaven, went to a manger, came out of the manger, grew up. He did miracles, signs and wonders. Then he died on the cross. And if we believe that he died on the cross for our sins, then we get to, we get to go to heaven? That's, that's right. That's a mystery, isn't it? It was, it, was, it, was, it was hidden for so many years, and it was a mystery to the Gentiles. It's, it's a mystery to the Jews to even today that that could be possible. But it's possible by faith that we can enter into heaven. When we leave this life, we enter into heaven because of the resurrected Christ. It's a mystery, but so is marriage a mystery. Boy, now that's the way you can look at your wife. man, he's got that right. It's a mystery. Who can figure this one out? How many, how many of you have ever just thought about your marriage and thought, man, if God wasn't in this, I don't know what we'd do. Anybody ever thought about that? If God wouldn't end this, where would we be? It's a mystery, isn't it? A, see, the bigger picture is that it's not about us, it's about him. God's coming back. Jesus is coming back for what? An unblemished bride. And he said, that's why husbands need to look at their wives, take care of them, wash them with the water of the word, love them, treat them with respect. Wives, do the same for your husband because God's coming back for his, his bride. See, guys, we're all brides. I know that, that, that doesn't feel right, but it's right. We're, we're brides. Jesus is the groom. And one, one day there's going to be a wedding feast in heaven. We're all going to sit down at this huge banqueting table. And I'm, I've always tried to picture that in my mind, the millions and millions and millions of people. One big table. <laughs> and I just believe that it's going to be like we're sitting right next to Him, even though we might be miles away. The way God's going to do things in heaven is not the way we can comprehend them here on on earth. It's going to be a mystery how that's all going to happen. Your testimony, husbands and wives, is tremendously valued in the kingdom of God. The world is looking at Christian marriages like never before. And they're wondering, what's happened to the church? Well, we've let the enemy come in. We've let the world come in and pollute our marriages. And today, we take back what the enemy has stolen. Amen? We get back to the basics of what a true godly marriage is supposed to look like. So the world can go, oh, so that's what a godly marriage looks like. Yeah, and if you come to our church, you'll see what a godly church looks like because we're the bride of Christ. And we want to show Him off. We want to show off the groom. We want to show off our Father who put all this together for us. You know my style of preaching. If, you haven't heard, if you've just been here for a short time. My style of preaching has always been mostly in context. A lot of people, they go, oh, you're preaching 33 verses. Yeah, I like to see context. I don't, I don't normally pick and choose verses from all over the Bible to make a point. And that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way God has direct, directed me to preach. So when I looked at this and I saw all, all that was in Ephesians 5, I thought, man, this is all about marriage. Matter of fact, this whole series has been about marriage. It's been about relationships, about staying the course. So I'm looking and I'm going, right after marriage, what is it? where does it go? He talks about parenting. Where does he go after that? Talks about being an employee, an employer. But then, where does he go? Where does he end it all up at? Where does he? Where does he culminate this message of Ephesians? What does he culminate it with? He culminates with the enemy is evil. He is deceitful. He is out there trying to kill, steal, and destroy your marriage and my marriage. Your relationships, your relationship with God. He's always trying to destroy it. And he said, because of that, because we know we have an enemy, we have got to put the armor of God on. And we got to put it all on. We got to put it on every day. And we have to put our surround ourselves with the armor of God. And then we stand and then we pray and then we stand. Listen, some of you this morning, maybe you're even thinking about, I'm done with this marriage thing. And God said, no, today you're going to stand. Today you're going to choose to love your spouse. Today you're going to wrap yourself in the righteousness of Christ. You're going to walk in forgiveness. You're not going to hold account all the things that have been going wrong in your marriage. You're going to start thinking about all the things that God has done right in your marriage. Because if He has called you to be together, listen, let no man separate. No man separate. No woman separate. God is looking for godly marriages to stand up, to rise up, be a witness to the world that God makes a difference. Because He does. We would not be here today if God didn't make a difference. This church would not be here today. I know that. If God hadn't intervened. Do we have it all figured out? No, we're still working on some things. I'm still trying to train her in some things. More like she's trying to train me. I throw some humor in there because I know sometimes it gets kind of tense when we talk about things like this. It just does. Because I know awful marriages, they're, they're not always a walk in the park. Again, it's because the enemy wants to kill, steal, destroy, divide. If he, can divide Christian, if he can divide Christian families, man, he just he wrecks so many. That's why God hates divorce. It wrecks marriage. It wrecks families. So I don't know where you're at today in your marriage. God does. I think we can all use improvement. Amen. There's not one marriage in here that can't use some improvement. Some of you may be in the right in the middle of a divorce, and God says today, stand. I want to. Re, I want to restore that marriage. You may think it's just done. There's nothing can. Nothing can bring this back. So when you say nothing, God says, oh, oh, wait a minute. Nothing's impossible with me. I've seen him resurrect marriages right here in this building. I've seen him bring them back to life. Were they more of a glory to God than ever before? Our communion team leaders, they walked through divorce. They didn't let the enemy destroy their lives, though. Carol and Chloe Jane, after four years apart, five years apart. God redeemed their marriage, and they remarried. And they serve communion here every week. Every week. That's my God. That's my God. That's their God. So I don't know where you're at. Go ahead and stand this morning. Go ahead and have a ministry team.